Welcome to Ashley On, your one-stop podcast where we talk about health and wellness, spirituality, and all things new. Stick around as we delve deep into innovations to support a better world. Welcome to the show. Today's show is with Professor Alan Cooper. He's played a central role in the development in the field of ancient DNA since his PhD work at UC Berkeley. Uh, he was the professor of ancient biomolecules at the University of Oxford and Australian Research Council Federation. Um, he's a multiple, multidisciplinary research um, professional and uses data from ancient genomics and bioinformatics. Um, lots of smart stuff there, a really smart guy. Um, and he's won many science prizes and recently led the multiple award-winning Aboriginal Heritage Project there in Australia uh, using ancient DNA. And he's here to talk with us today about the Adams event. Um, the Adams event is, many of you may know, is when um, our Earth actually has two magnetic poles, a North and a South Pole. And these poles are not stable as they, uh, they shift periodically based on the movements of the Earth's iron center. And, and as it kind of sloshes around inside the Earth, uh, the poles typically move. Um, however, the Adams event was a phenomenon 42,000 years ago where the Earth's magnetic north and south poles actually flipped. Uh, so they switched places for several hundred years before returning back to their original positions that they are today. Um, so why is this relevant? Because um, our magnetic north pole is actually on the run now. It's, uh, it was moving um, towards Siberia through the 90s at a rate of about nine miles per hour. And now, um, or no, I'm sorry, nine, nine miles per year, um, nine miles per hour to circle the, the globe by then. Um, anyway, it's, it's moving nine miles per year, and now it's up to 30 miles per year um, that it's moving. And um, we're, so we want to talk about that with Professor Alan Cooper, who has been studying these things and uh, will share a lot with us today. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, today's show is brought to you by Packed With Life, Adaptogen, and Mushroom Tea. If you're like me, many of you are looking for health hacks and ways to improve your diet. A while back, I discovered reishi, lion's mane, chaga, and cordyceps mushrooms were great for all-day decaf energy and for keeping my immune system strong. But I didn't want to take another capsule, and the mushroom beverages available typically tasted awful. That's where Packed With Life Tea comes in. Packed With Life has 12 organic adaptogenic herbs and spices to hide the mushroom taste behind a delicious light and zesty flavor. I prefer Packed With Life on ice with no sweetener, but it's also great hot or with a bit of honey. Use code AshleyOn at PackedWithLife.com today for 20% off and free shipping. Enjoy the show. Hello, Alan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. G'day. How's, how's things? Great. Thank you so much. Uh, where do I find you today? Uh, well, I'm in Adelaide, Australia. Um, so it's my early morning, your late evening um in a uh, autumn lovely autumn day well awesome um we've got spring emerging here so we're at the, we're at the other end of the continuum um, exactly <laughs> very cool so d give an introduction to the audience on uh on about yourself first before we get into to what we're going to talk about alan if you don't mind Sure. Um, I'm a scientist, a research scientist. Uh, my background is originally um, genetics and biochemistry, and I've kind of moved across um, into ancient DNA was my speciality. Um, but I'm working in climate change, uh, paleontology, uh, fossils and the like. Um, kind of my, all my systems biology, looking at how all the different fields work together 
Okay. And you, um, we were going to talk about something that's called and known as the Adams event. But before we get into that, I would love to just understand, um, you know, and have you explained to the audience what causes the Earth to have a magnetic field? Yeah, so um, the Earth has a liquid molten, I should say, iron interior, uh, which is spinning as the planet spins. And while science still doesn't fully understand quite how and why, uh, a magnetic field is created by the spinning of the liquid um, iron. And occasionally, the bit that science doesn't understand is quite how the magnetic fields occasionally switch. So the North Pole becomes South Pole. And that has happened fairly often throughout geological time. And you can tell because any rock which is uh, liquid at the time, coming out of a volcano, for example, when it sets, all the iron-containing minerals in the lava are pointing the wrong way uh, to whatever you might be measuring right now. So through geological time, you can see the magnetic field switch backwards and forwards. It's a very important thing, the magnetic field. Um, a good example of why is something like Mars. Now, Mars' magnetic field uh, stopped at some point, possibly because a, a liquid iron or, or some other interior solidified. And without the protection of the magnetic field, a lot of um, ionizing radiation coming in from, from space or from the sun, a thing we call the solar wind, will strip away the atmosphere. And that's actually what has happened on Mars, which is why you might have had life at one stage, but you potentially don't anymore, is because the, the atmosphere that is left is very thin. Uh, it's all been stripped off. So Earth owes, a, or we owe a fair amount to our magnetic field. Okay. And so um, the benefits of it, as you're mentioning, of the magnetic field itself are really protecting from those solar winds. And really, how do we know how damaging and for a fact like how how do we know that that is that the reason behind mars right i mean what what's the uh, the science that points to um that being as a, the magnetic field being the benefit that we have versus mars not having it's it's certainly still an area of research um but it's it's a really obvious difference between the two planets uh in terms of being close by um, having a uh, reasonable mass and one, um, Mars, potentially originally having water or uh, liquid water um, and, uh, and an atmosphere, now having uh, that all disappeared so that um, when we're looking for life on Mars, we're looking for subterranean ice or areas which are preserved from the surface um, versus us where we've got a thick atmosphere um, that is that protects us from this radiation, unless we fly pretty high. So one of the things you might have heard about is that pilots um, do have to keep uh, track of how much exposure they're getting, how many flights they take up at high altitude where that radiation is not being blocked as effectively by the atmosphere. Uh, and particularly if you go over the poles, you get um, a noticeable increased uh, radiation exposure if you fly over the poles. And the reason for that is that the magnetic field is running um, kind of like the, the image physicists talk about is if you took a grapefruit and then you inverted it, which is a mind trip. But if you can imagine a grapefruit flipping inside out as one hole, 
the, the, the magnetic field is pouring up the north and, and down the south pole and then around the outside of the planet and back in the other end. That's how the, the system works. As a result, straight up and straight down from the north and south pole, there's a kind of uh, thin bit or a tube that runs down um, without that magnetic field protection. And that's why the space radiation is so high at the poles, high enough that you actually have to keep an eye on it um, if you're flying over there quite often. Okay. And so the Adams event refers to um, the time when, the last time, I guess, the most recent time that the, the poles kind of switched places and then moved back into their original places again. Um, who was Adams? Why is it, what's the Adams reference? Can you yeah, explain that so um, the, te the, the geological name for this event is the Le Champ event. And that's a small French village, Le Champ. Um, and uh, it's got a lot of volcanoes around it. And it so happens that one of those volcanoes was erupting 42,000 years ago, which is the last time the Earth tried switching its magnetic fields. And uh, the, the, the switch is preserved in the lava. So you can actually see all the iron pointing, pointing southwards in, in that lava flow. But um, this is what we call a geomagnetic, that's the term for the magnetism, uh, an excursion. It, it was a flip that didn't stick. In other words, the North Pole went down to the South Pole, the magnetic South Pole, for about uh, 600 years or so, and then swapped back again. It didn't stay. And so in that regards, it's not a magnetic switch um, because it didn't last. We call it a magnetic excursion or geomagnetic excursion. It tried for a short period of time or the magnetic field disappeared uh, and then gave up and went back again. So that's the the Le Champ 42,000 years ago. What we found was when we started looking at records in archaeology, in geology, climate, a whole bunch of strange things seemed to be happening around 42,000 years ago that we couldn't quite explain. And it took us a while to work out it might actually be the geomagnetic switch. The reason we are so hesitant to think of this is that um, dogma or traditional scientific thinking has always been that geomagnetism doesn't have much influence on, on life. And um, we've seen switches before in planetary history, and we haven't seen huge disasters in geological terms, if you go back and look, uh, probably didn't do very much. But we kept finding, look, there's, there's changes in, in human population structure, there's changes in climate, Australia suddenly starts drying out, megafauna start going extinct. It all seems to happen around 42. And everything we looked at kept coming back to the number 42. Now, um, there's a famous uh, book and TV series uh, called Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, very, very popular, popular in England, and I, I believe it got some traction in the United States as well. And it's written by a guy, a very, uh, an excellent comedian, and a guy called um, Douglas Adams, a very good author, um, who had a really uh, great sense of humor about the foibles of mankind and bureaucracy and everything else. And so um, he, in that book, famously had a situation where a very advanced uh, group of um, animals, um, rats, actually, who are the smart owners of the planet, they're running experiments on us, not the other way around in, in the book, uh, constructed a huge computer um, to answer the, um, to, to find out what the, um, the answer to, the, uh, to life, the universe and everything was. And the answer came back 42 at which point they realized they didn't know what the question was. Uh, anyway, 42, as a result, has gained a kind of 
um, cachet about uh, being the answer to life, the universe and everything. And so we kept finding 42,000 years was the answer to all these uh, strange events. So uh, we termed all the biological consequences in the short space of time, the Adams event after Douglas Adams. That's cool. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so now I guess the relevance, you know, is that the poles are moving now, right? Pretty rapidly. Yeah, um, right now, the North Pole is certainly tracking very quickly. Um, it's moved across Canada into the Arctic Ocean, uh, heading towards, uh, well, almost Russia, uh, moving very fast and weakening considerably. It's weakened about 10% in the last 150, 60 years or so, um, which is quite rapid change in terms of the magnetic field, but it does wobble around a fair bit through geological time. So we don't know really whether this is a precursor to the fields um, wanting to, to flip because we just don't understand how that works. While the, the molten iron dynamo theory is understood, quite how it works, why it should flip occasionally, that's all completely unknown really. So whether this current behavior of the poles is a precursor to a flip, we don't know. Um, you certainly hope not, because it would pretty much upend modern life as we know it. Because, of course, without that magnetic field, the incoming radiation would certainly disrupt all of our electronic communications, if nothing else. That would all go, um, for example, in a solar storm, when the sun um, belches out occasionally a big blast of radiation, we do have a lot of trouble with satellite communications our atmosphere actually expands, it, it, it heats up is the wrong word, but it gains energy from, from the sun when the sun throws this stuff out, it expands enough to actually drag satellites down. The satellites actually have to be positioned above our atmosphere very precisely, because if the atmosphere expands just through the energy from the, from the sun, it causes drag on them and drags them into the orbit and they burn up. And so, in fact, the, uh, many of these satellites are six, seven-year lifespans because they know sooner or later the atmosphere is going to do one of these wobbles and catch them if they're in low orbit. So it's uh, for, for no other reason than simply all of our electromagnetic communication, satellites, um, any kind of email, all this kind of stuff would go down. That would cause a huge disruption. Imagine the banking, you know, any transport systems. But there's a good potential for a whole bunch much more serious stuff as well. It would not be a good uh, situation. So the North Pole's moving. Is the South Pole moving as well? or, or is we don't, it just? Uh, I don't actually know the answer to that one. It's a good question. Um, there's much more measurements going on in the North Pole because you can get um, closer access to it. <clears throat> the South Pole being under um, that much ice is a little bit harder to, to measure. And I don't actually know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Do you, Did you see anything in your in the data that you were reviewing that indicated how long like something like this takes like you said there's about a 600 to 800 year period where the whole thing happened to flip and a flip back um mm -hmm. but did you see any like lead up signals like in other words things yeah. that you could pinpoint like toward today that seem to be similar or not well, you're right. We actually can watch the North Pole, North Magnetic Pole, wander right the way across North America, cuts across underneath the Great Lakes, hits New York, and then suddenly, well, close to it, and then suddenly there's a reverse, tracks across the middle of the United States. This is all 42,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, exit somewhere around San Francisco. 
um, looks lost for a moment or two, and then just heads straight south across the Pacific Ocean. That just tears right through past New Zealand. So we can tell all this because um, when the uh, rocks are being laid down in different parts of the world, particularly volcanic rocks, but also sediments, they're always pointing exactly where the, south, the North and South Pole are. So you can line them up and actually work out where through the planet the, the North Pole uh, was sitting. And it's great fun to watch it walk right through underneath uh, North America and then head off down the Pacific. It goes through New Zealand, cuts across Antarctica for about uh, 600 years, and then shoots back up through the Indian Ocean uh, up to the North Pole. So um, the process of that wandering before the flip takes a couple hundred years, effectively speaking. Now, that's, a, you know, so that might make us think that the current meandering isn't likely to immediately result in a magnetic field flip. But the trouble is, this is one observation. Um, we haven't looked at all the, we don't have the data for the, all the other hundreds of times the magnetic pole has switched. So from what we've seen so far, maybe not too much to worry about, but boy, we've got a very limited data set to, um, to measure that from. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm an optimist and uh, believe that it's going to take quite a while, but um, I, I wonder if um is there anybody out there trying to monetize this yet like is uh is al gore <laughs> trying to to sell credits to like move the magazine I, I should or? i should come up with an action i hadn't thought of that it's a very good <laughs> idea um no i don't i don't believe so at the moment but i do think actually there's probably nowhere near enough work going on looking at shielding um satellites and comms from this kind of thing because even if the magnetic field doesn't flip the sun can really produce some pretty amazing um solar uh flares and um things called coronal mass ejections when it just burps a whole bunch of uh, magnetism and energy straight out now uh, we haven't seen a big one of those a minor one happened about 1859, I think it was, the Carrington event, um, which is famously when um, telegraph operators in the United States were noticing that um, this huge electromagnetic storm was going off, there were aurora all over the place, and that they were able to use their telegraph lines without any batteries. In fact, when they, when they tried using them with power, they couldn't get through. And there's this lovely message of someone saying, I can hardly hear you from one coast to the other. I'm going to disconnect the battery and reconnect it, which I guess is an early version of turning it off and on. Um, and when the battery was disconnected, they got great communication. So there was no power going to the system. The power from the sun's ionization was charging the lines enough that they could carry the conversation on really well without any uh, additional energy. Um, now, that's a minor event, the Carrington event, in terms of the history of the sun doing these massive ionization charges. And if you can imagine what that would be like with our modern communication system, this is solid copper wire in those days, and it could put that much of a charge in it. People were getting electric shocks off fences and the like. Um, you try throwing that onto the modern grid. And that, you know, lasted, um, I think, about three or four days. And those things happen a lot. So we don't need the magnetic field. Magnetic field, uh, Earth's magnetic field helps protect us from that. So it's much, much worse when it's not there. And that's why we think 42,000 years ago, so much strange stuff, stuff happened. But even with it, the sun is perfectly capable of throwing out some pretty big energy uh, surges. And none of them have really happened since we really got into high tech. And as a result, we don't design our systems with any of this stuff in mind. So a good blast like that. Some people say, um, well, I've read 
uh, predictions that it could really crash the the current uh, economy, effectively speaking, by taking you, down all electronic comms. You mean we don't know anything, or we don't know everything? It's not so much we don't know everything, we certainly don't know that, but even the stuff we do know, we ignore. I think that's more of the problem. So yes, you can see the stuff happen, and yes, you could see what it would do, and let's pretend to put that under the carpet for the moment, because we're just not going to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Did you see when you're looking back at data and triangulating different types of data? Because I've read in other spots too that around this same time there was there seemed to be uh, the emergence of cave art that happened. Yeah. Well. That- um, oh, yeah. Um, so certainly, um, what we um, uh, noticed that in terms of the very strange things that happened around forty-two thousand years ago. Um, the human behavior changes quite, quite markedly. And one of the things that gave us a clue was that people doing archaeology and looking at um, cave art, rock art, you know, the original red ochre diagrams of figures mm-hmm. and animals and stuff like that, um, would turn up in places like Borneo and um, Sulawesi, which are in island Southeast Asia, down by Indonesia, just north of Australia. And, you know, you get a sudden burst of this art on rock shelters and they're still finding stuff. It's just amazing. I mean, there's better, better animal drawings than I could do, um, which is not saying much, but still, you know, respect to, you know, the early humans in terms of their artistic uh, capabilities. And I think many other capabilities, intellectual and otherwise as well, we really give them a, a bum steer in terms of mm-hmm. their abilities. Um, but point being that when they did the dating on the art in uh, Island Southeast Asia, they found a real concentration back to about 42,000 years ago. There's a few bits before that, but it was a real burst at that point. And they said, this is interesting because that's the same time it turns up in Europe. So in Europe at the same time, you see a big burst of this cave art right around 42,000 years. Again, there's a few traces beforehand, you know, the art was going on, but suddenly it's preserved really, really well at 42,000 years. And then it drops away again in terms of frequency and you don't see it pops up again about 35,000 years, which is another geomagnetic uh, excursion event. Um, and so the people in, in working on the cave arts, this is odd, why would in two completely different parts of the world, Europe and Indonesia, you get the sudden parallel burst of these amazing draw- drawings in red ochre of, of animals. And what we suggested was, look, what it might well be is that um, during the geomagnetic excursion, as the magnetic field weakens, um, as, it, as it tries to flip, all the incoming radiation would uh, from the, from the um, both uh, galactic background, but also the sun's uh, radiation, um, would cause potentially quite high ultraviolet rays, certainly any of these big um, um, solar events when a bunch of ionizing radiation is pumped out would, would cause mass problems because you've got no magnetic field protecting you. And so under those circumstances, caves would actually become quite valuable real estate. If you, you know, our calculations are that these events could mean that you'd be getting sunburned within you know, 30 minutes of exposure. If you're out in the, in the daylight, it would have been really intense, very high UV, um, because the ozone's being destroyed by this um, ionizing radiation, uh, but potentially many other effects, aurora all over the place. I mean, it would look a little bit like an LSD trip. If, you know, if you've seen the aurora in, in the Arctic or Antarctic, imagine that down to the equator. Everywhere is just doing this completely trippy colors and noises, uh, potentially. You actually can hear it, um, frequency uh, changes going up and down. Sounds very experimental music. If you imagine all that going on, 
um, a cave wouldn't have been a bad spot uh, right then. And I tend mm -hmm. to think what's happening is that the art you're suddenly seeing preserved on the cave walls is not telling you that art was invented 42,000 years ago. Uh, it's the art is going on all the way through history, but it's been painted on cliff walls or tree right. or shields. And all of that is eroded away. All that's happened is the same practice going on externally was moved into a cave for a short period of time. And that's the bit that we can see. Everything else is gone. So it looks like cave art suddenly appears 42,000 years ago. Our argument is no, what's actually happening is you're just getting a record of human behavior very nicely that is lacking before and after it because everyone's out in the outside world doing it instead. Um, nevertheless, it's a great record because you can see just what the capabilities of these people are. We also think, for example, the red ochre, which is used uh, predominantly to do that cave art, might actually be um, being used as um, sunscreen. Uh, which it still is in places in Africa, Namibian groups in particular, and very high um, sunscreen, uh, ultraviolet uh, exposure uh, periods. Um, people mix red ochre with clay, and red ochre is a very effective absorbent of, of ultraviolet light. So they, they put this on their skins, and you, you may have seen Im images of this, this red clay look. Mm -hmm. Well, that same red ochre is the stuff which is used in the cave art, and uh, particularly the handprints, one of the common motifs you see in cave art all right. around the world at that point, and then subsequently, are red uh, hand prints, which are either negatives, so it's the outline of the hand, or the positive, where it's actually the, the hand itself, a palm print. And what we're suggesting is, well, that actually might well reflect uh, people putting on uh, red ochre sunscreen, because the way it's it's done in, in Africa in many places is you blow it through a tube, you, you put it into your mouth, mix it with saliva, and then blow it from a tube onto your hand and your arm to get it on there. And of course, if you're doing that against the surface, what you're going to do is leave an outline of the thing that you're blowing your red ochre onto. And so one of the things we suggest is, hey, look, is this actually what we're looking at is a sunscreen advert um, from 42,000 years ago? Uh, and that the same material is being used, you know, if it was that valuable as an artistic uh, tool. And the reason you might think this has got some credibility is because there's many other ochres. There's yellows, there's blacks, there's greys, but it's always the red stuff which is used, and it's the red ochre, which is the very powerful blocker of ultraviolet, not the other ochres aren't. In fact, in many cases, the red ochre is yellow, which has been heated up deliberately uh, by humans. It's been cooked to try and convert it uh, into red ochre. So to red ochre red. is definitely going to go. Anyway, it's, it's a pretty radical theory, and um, science is, is quite predictable in that regard. There was quite a bit of pushback from the archaeologists about it because we're suggesting some pretty... Some concepts no one has ever thought of before is that magnetism might be involved in these things. But one of the reasons I think we might be right is that there are a couple of other geomagnetic excursions which are shorter and nowhere near as powerful as the, the Adams event 42,000 years ago. There's one at 35, another one about uh, two about 25 and 27,000 years ago. And if you look in the record, you see bursts of cave art and major changes in human population structure, genetics and the like, at those points as well. So it's not just a one-off at 42 that things go a bit weird, but you see it elsewhere when the magnetic field shifts. And that's why I think actually we might well be onto something here that, that no one's thought of before, because uh, magnetism is not something we can smell, we can't see it, we can't feel it. 
uh, and the human brain is such that therefore it doesn't exist. You know, it, it's not relevant. Um, but in fact, it actually is very relevant. It's just that we can't sense it in any way. So, you know, in that regard, it, science is very interesting that way. It's meant to work such that if new facts are put forward that challenge a theory, um, in time, science will actually get around to having a look at it. But the initial result is always actually a fairly conservative response from the field. Like, no, we don't, we've never thought of this and no, we're not particularly interested. Um, yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's called pseudoscience, right? It's ignoring uh, the possibilities of, of true science. It's, it's, a, and it's yeah, predominant across our society. I would, yeah, I wouldn't call it pseudoscience as much. I'd call it human ego. Um, and that when we think we understand something or when we think we've got an explanation for something, we're very resistant to take on new information and change it. And that's just human nature. And unfortunately, science science is brilliant in that it's set up to challenge that. It's how you get away from religion. Um, and that's what science did to break the hold of religion on society and actually demonstrate, look, we can prove something here. But you've still got human foibles to overcome. The scientific method by itself is beautiful and pure. Unfortunately, humans are the ones operating it, so it doesn't quite work as well as it should. It'll get there eventually, but uh, it's not quick. That's very well said. Well, Alan, I, I appreciate you joining us, and um, thank you so much for your time and, and your work in this area. And is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? Um, oh, just, just that, look, I think some very interesting things are happening in our understanding of human evolution at the moment in, in the recent past and, and genetics and ancient DNA are, are leading the way there. And I hope that we can learn a few lessons from that, just how advanced people were in the past and that we're not all that advanced in comparison. Um, and I do think we need a little bit of humility and that might well help when you're looking at trying to work out what climate change and various other things are going to do to us. We're not all powerful and uh, we're making some pretty silly mistakes. And so uh, I guess a lot of us realize that it's um, getting society to actually do something about it, to actually change, which is the issue. Yeah. Well, the, it's been great to meet you and I appreciate uh, you taking the time and I'd love to stay in touch because if there's things that you're discovering on, uh, you know, ancient DNA and genetics, I'd love to be, uh, you know, in the know on that and share that with our audience as well. Sure. That would be great. Excellent. Right. Thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to speak too. Great, Alan. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Hey guys, as always, this episode is brought to you by Packed with Live Tea. You know, I always talk about how much I love iced tea and Packed with Live tastes fantastic. And I don't add any sweetener or anything like that. Just great tasting iced tea packed with organic adaptogens, including the four key mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi. Of course, it tastes great as hot tea as well, if that's your thing. Um, and some people like to add a little bit of honey. But either way, no matter how you like your tea, you're going to love this tea. And it will boost your immune system, brain, lungs, and gut. That's why it's packed with life. So get yours today at packedwithlife.com. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Ashley on Nothing But The Truth for a Better You and Me.